0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And today I'm joined with author, wildlife rehabilitator, Susie Gilbert. Hey, Susie.
0: Hey, Chris. How are you?
1: Doing awesome. Doing awesome. And Susie just published another book called Unflappable, which we're going to talk about. But I think a big focus of today is to talk about her experience with wildlife rehabilitation.
0: Yep. I've done it for 30 years.
1: Yeah. It has so much experience and very excited about this one. You know, just briefly, I did some wildlife rehab Back in the day, with squirrels, possums, and rabbits, so I'll toss in a little bit of my experiences. You know the what the two a.m., four a.m., six a.m. feedings.
0: (laughs) Where were you? Stuff, right? Where were you when you were rehabbing?
1: I was in South Carolina. Okay. So upstate, so the Greenville Wildlife Rescue. Okay. Who we were working with? Yeah, and didn't do any of the rabies vector animals which killed me because I wanted to do raccoons really bad
0: (laughs) oh yeah you do need a different license for that
1: (laughs) I know but we did do the squirrels and the possums and I like to think now there's hundreds if not maybe a thousand or two of them out there now because of us so
0: there yeah Yeah. and And it's not too late the raccoons are waiting for you Yes,
1: (laughs) Yes, <laughs> one day, one day, okay. someday. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, first question, always like to ask, if you can kind of give us a, a background. You know, I guess where you grew up, where you're living now.
0: Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in Oyster Bay on Long Island of New York, state of New York, and um, you know, I I always had a lot of animals when I was a kid. This was um, not you wouldn't call it suburbia, but you wouldn't call it rural. Lots of horses and woods. Um, I think I always had a sort of rescue Jones. I had whenever my friends would get some new little pet, and then they'd get tired of it. I would end up taking him home, <laughs> and so I had a little yep. men- a little menagerie, and um, I rescued dogs. I I grew up riding, and I ended up with the horses that were not not easily handled and um, eventually I started doing parrot rescue even Um, parrots you know as you know parrots are incredibly smart and if it were up to me it would be illegal to own them because they just take so much care you know and they're they're so needy they're so emotional and if you have Mm. a single parrot you need you know they they just need company so um, I think i I moved out of New York City. I traveled around a lot. Uh, I was in New York City when I was heading end of my 20s. And uh, I moved to the Hudson Valley, which is this beautiful little rural spot, garrison in the Hudson Valley. And someone told me that I should go check out the Hudson Valley Raptor Center. And I had never, you know, I liked wild birds, but I had never really had contact with them. I was not a birder. And I went to the Hudson Valley Raptor Center and just fell in love with red-tailed hawks. They were mm-hmm. just, um, they were amazing. And then from there, all kinds of raptors. I, I ended up working there for 11 years. And uh, after that, I, I left and I, I set up my own uh, wildlife place. It was, a, it was going to be a small rescue center out of my house, mm-hmm. but it just mushroomed. I mean, anytime a rehabilitator sets limits, you can expect them to last for about five minutes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yep, yep, I think yep, you yep.
0: probably know this, Chris, right? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes.
1: We can't take any more, and then a windstorm right. comes in, and then there's 50 squirrel babies that need homes.
0: That's right. No more, I'm fried. Oh, well, okay, bring them in.
1: Yeah, uh, it's like, because you know, if they can't, uh, you know, they may have to euthanize them, so.
0: That's right. You know, a lot of times, this is what happens to rehabbers: is is if you don't take them, nobody will.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so is that, is that we is that kind of where your interest in wildlife and I guess conservation began? Was working at that center.
0: Yes, yes, that okay. was it. Um, awesome. And while I was there, I, you know, that's when I really started learning about, you know, how much danger faced the wildlife all around us because, you know, we'd, we'd get these birds in and you name it. And it had happened to them. You know, they're hit by cars, they're trapped, they run it, they fly into windows. They, yeah, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and um you know, you want to do something about it.
1: Right, 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 right. I, I guess at the beginning for our listeners that don't fully understand what is wildlife rehabilitation?
0: So. If, if you are a sort of regular person and you're out and about and suddenly you see an injured wild creature, you know, in your driveway or, you know, in, on your lawn, you know, what do you do with it? Or if you're driving down the road and so you see some wild creature who's been hit by a car, what, you know, what do you do? Where do you bring them? Wildlife rehabilitators are the people who have licenses to care for injured and orphaned wildlife. In order to do that in, you know, in the US, you have to be licensed. You have to go through, oh, you know, lots and lots of schooling. You have to take tests. You have to be licensed by the state. And if you're doing migratory birds, you have to be licensed by the feds too. And the hoops they make you jump through are just remarkable. I mean, you know, speaking for myself, I'm, I am just a bird rehabber, but when I took my state test, I had to know about raccoons like you, Chris, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to know all about possums and, you know, mammals. I had to know about turtles. I had to know all, all species, even if I didn't intend to take care of them, which, you know, it's a good thing because, you know, if I, somebody brings me a Injured turtle, I can take him in. Eventually, I will pass him along to someone who specializes in turtles and really knows what they're doing. But at least I can give, you know, the injured, whatever it is, uh, temporary care.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a complete network, right? Like oh, the network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: we are yep, such yep, yep. a network. Everybody knows everybody, and you know that. That's the thing is, if I get in an injured raccoon you know i mm. i need to pass him on to to someone who will take him and uh, we all have each other's phone numbers and email addresses
1: right. yeah right yeah we always uh i was gonna be interested, i asking to ask you about birds here in a minute yep but i remember transporting birds down the freeway oh. going to the state yeah in, in south carolina or like i said we didn't handle rabies vectors so we had to take them to different rehabbers but Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I guess this would be a good time to ask this question. What should a listener do if they come across an injured bird or injured mammal? What should they do?
0: So if you you need to uh, get them, get a box, get something that can contain them uh, with we we know if if you have something like a an, an injured hawk you're going to need to be a little more careful because um you know they do have talons and mm-hmm. and big beaks but um what you what you want to do is get a a heavy pair of gloves you want to get a box and something you know you can just kind of tip the animal or bird into the box without touching him as much as you can and put a lid on it. Make sure that there are breathing holes. Make sure that mm-hmm. the animal can breathe. And then just contain them. Put them in a place that's warm and dark uh, because you know, the darkness will calm them down. Um, and then you want to get on the phone. And you can call your local vet. You know, any, you know, if you know animal people, sometimes they will know. This is a network, so they will know of uh, a rehabilitator in the area, you can get on the internet and you can put in the name of your state. You know, I could type in New York State Wildlife Rehabilitators, and there should be lists there. There's a national organization called the National Wildlife Rehabilitators Association. And if you go on their website, they have contact into info for rehabbers all across the country. And then, you know, with luck, you'll get somebody, and then you can. Either they will come normally, they will ask you to bring the animal to them because rehabbers are so overworked. We have so many animals and birds and not enough time. So uh, once you hand them off, then then your job is done and you're a hero.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's amazing how people do care and they do, you know hand those animals over. And obviously you wouldn't recommend somebody trying to rehab them on their own.
0: Uh, absolutely not. No, yeah. no, no. Because people, you know, people think, oh, well, uh, you know, here's an injured hawk. I know I'll just feed him hamburger for a couple of weeks until he feels better. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> birds don't eat hamburger. You know, there's no hamburger out, them, out there for them to catch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they have a special, every bird, Every animal has a specialized diet. And you can go on the internet and they will have the worst information on what to feed injured wildlife. I mean, you really you cannot believe the instructions on the internet about how to take care of injured wildlife. You have to get a hold of a rehabber. Otherwise the animal has no choice, you know, they have no chance. If they're not properly cared for, they just they have no chance.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, a lot goes into it, you know, the care of these animals. And that that goes into what the training, the licenses, laws, right? It, if my understanding's right, especially with birds, birds are specially protected, right?
0: They s- supposedly um yes, they are protected by the migratory bird treaty. So it is technically it is illegal for anyone to even, even possess the feather of a protected bird. I mean, that's the letter of the law, but, but you know, they just, the, the law is for, you know, really is for the protection of the birds and, and we need to keep this law strong. I mean, it's under, it's really under assault right now. This, all the laws protecting wildlife are under assault in our country, but we, you know, the, the laws are there to protect them. And, and it's just, it's never a good idea to keep a wild creature if you don't have the training.
1: Right, right. And, and this goes for, I mean, most countries around the world. We, yeah. we have a lot of listeners in Australia and the UK and Europe. So I'm sure there's similar organizations and laws that protect their wildlife.
0: Oh yeah, I've just you know all those heartbreaking videos from Australia when everything was on fire, and those you know heroic rehabbers who are just working so tirelessly and like, against incredible odds. I mean, this is what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of those images were just horrible. It's so crazy how the world has changed since then. Last few months. <laughs> I know. I uh,
0: know. Oh, one catastrophe to another.
1: Yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. So. so- all of this experience leads up to you writing this book, Unflappable.
0: <laughs> <And> that's, what, <laughs> yeah. that's
1: why we have you on.
0: <laughs> Here but, I am.
1: Yeah. I guess, what, is this what motivated you to write the story?
0: <laughs> um, y- yes. I, I, you know, part, yes. Um, l- I, you know, I should say, m- going up to Unflappable. I, Unflappable is my third book. So mm-hmm. the first book I wrote, which was published by Chronicle Books, was a children's book, you know, beautifully illustrated, and uh, not by me, by uh, Sylvia Long, who's a wonderful, wonderful illustrator. And it was about a boy who moves to no- a new town, and he you know, doesn't know anybody, and he finds a woman who takes care of injured birds of prey. And so it's a, it's a story about a boy and his friendship with this woman, but also about how he learns about these birds. And I wrote it when I was at the Raptor Center. And I did it just because I wanted, I wanted to raise awareness of you know, what these birds were like and sort of start young, start with, with kids. And I have no idea why I, why I chose a children's book for, format because yeah. I didn't have kids at the time and I didn't even mm-hmm. know how to write a children's book. But um, anyway, it, it, it turned out well. And then the book after that, was a memoir. And it was after I had been rehabbing all kinds of birds out of my house for, I think I wrote it up like eight, eight years. I had been doing it for eight years. I started, I started my wild bird hospital and uh, rehab center when my kids were seven and eight and they were helping me. And so the memoir was about my my futile attempt (laughs) to balance raising two kids and running this wild bird hospital where, you know, there's just birds everywhere. And it, it was, you know, it was, it was bedlam and, and that was a memoir. And again, you know, I wanted to tell the story and, and I, I wrote it because I thought, you know, one, it was a really good story, but also it would show people, you know, what rehabbers do. And, and the lengths they will go to, to, you know, to save their animal of, you know, bird animal of choice, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And so, you know, after that, uh, Unflappable now um, is a novel. And I would, I would say to any writers out there that my, Path of writing is not the one you should follow. <laughs> just yeah. don't, don't do what I did, <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the idea is you pick a genre. I mean, you know, you, you be a nonfiction writer, be a novel writer, be a kids book writer. Just you know, do one thing, and then you can sort of get your audience and keep going. But I kept switching, so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now I have this novel, and I and I just um, I wrote it because. I was on the phone with my agent at one point and I, I was working on another project and I didn't really like it. You know, I was just doing it because I needed to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. And um, I told him a funny rehabber story and he said, you know, that would make such a great novel. Why don't you write it as a novel? And I said, because I don't know how to write a novel. And he said, read Carl Hyasson. <laughs> <Hiasen." laughs> so do you know, do you know Carl Hyasson?
1: No, no, no. <laughs> Who's that?
0: Uh, Carl Hiaasen is a, um, he's a writer in Florida. He writes, uh, uh, he he was a journalist in, in, I believe Miami, you know, someplace where, I mean, you know, Florida, there are just no holds barred in Florida. And he writes these like real fast paced, funny comic murder mystery, throw Mm. everything in there, you know, and they're really funny. And then, and, they were great you know and so yeah, yeah i read a couple of books of his and i thought i know i can do this because that's the kind of story i wanted to tell i wanted to tell like a funny fast-paced adventure story with rehabbers
1: and mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and i thought i could get the audience of of people who just not are not necessarily into the environment you know I'd, i wanted to expand i wanted i wanted to write a a book about wildlife and rehabbers that would go mainstream and right, right. so that's what i tried to do i certainly didn't do it right away <laughs> T- <No. laughs> took a bunch of drafts <laughs> yeah 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 yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> being a writer it's it's a it's a long hard process right oh,
0: man yes it is <laughs> it's not a vacation at well, well, the
1: beach no no not at all not at all i it's, I had a couple of questions. I, so, before we go to Unflappable real quick, you talk about your day with your two children. I could only imagine. Can you just talk about what a day was like for you with all the birds? All the, I could just imagine all the diet prep with two young children. I, how'd you do it?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know how I did it except I was much younger. <laughs> I just <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I think it 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 was like centrifugal force, you know, you just I started in the morning and and I did not stop until I went to bed at night. And you know, there were there were it was parts of it were really fun and cool because my Mm. kids, my kids were really into it. You know, they, we lived in a house way back in the woods and they were total little muddy nature kids. And Mm -hmm. so they were just happy as clams with this. We'd get a new bird in and we'd, you know, have all these great discussions on, you know, how cool the bird was. And we'd look up all cool facts about it. Um, my my daughter ended up having this amazing ability to get nestling songbirds to open their beaks and eat mm-hmm. when they didn't you know when they when they normally wouldn't want to i mean sometimes sometimes you get a nest full of songbirds in and you take the hemostats or the tweezers and you put a mealworm you grip a, a mealworm with it and you present it to the Nestling songbird, and immediately they'll gape, and there are little t- tricks like you can jiggle the nest so it's you know it kind of feels to them like a parent bird landing on the nest, and that'll make them open their beak, or you can kind of nudge them. There' are all these tricks, but sometimes they're just traumatized little creatures, and they they don't want to open their beak and mm-hmm. Skye, my daughter, managed to get them to do it i mean i one at one point literally, Uh, I came in the room and she was holding a pair of tweezers and making these sort of serpentine motions above the baby bird. And then the bird opened its mouth and she put the worm in. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, remember, you used to pretend the food was an airplane, remember? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. No you worries. know, and I was like, yeah. how could this possibly work? But it did. You know, oh, and my wow. and then my son would help me. I'd get I'd get birds in that I just could not handle by myself. I could not hold them and and do what needed to be done at the same time. For instance, great blue herons, which are, you know, they are are beautiful, mm-hmm. strong, but you know they're they're tough birds to handle especially if they've still got some fight left in them and my son would put on ski goggles because you know you got to watch your eyes with these birds mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. and he'd put on the ski goggles and he'd he'd hold the bird and he'd get his hand under the beak and and open it properly so that i could put the tube down the bird's throat and get nutrients into him wow. so yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't
1: that hard with squirrels, I'll tell you. That. No. I know. <laughs> they 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 would tend to come and, and get the milk from you and yeah. then you graduate to I don't remember slurry and then just you know, grapes and I would cut up yeah. a bunch of little food and yeah. and rodent chow and stuff. Yeah, they were easy. Uh possums were a little hard when they're baby. When they were possums.
0: Babies. Really? Why? Yeah. Tell me, what what wouldn't you have <sighs> to, to get do? Get them to
1: eat. Yeah. So you, you had to mix this special, like you said, special diets for each species. And you'd have to put their food on their nose and they'd lick it. Really? And so, yeah. So it took forever. It took forever. That's right. <laughs> and then baby bunnies are the worst. Oh, all time worst because yeah. they tend to die.
0: Yes. That's, that's exactly that's- what I hear.
1: Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. You're like, no, <laughs> they're so cute.
0: They're so cute, and uh, they're so scared. They just like have heart attacks, don't they? they yeah, just...
1: they do. They do. But yeah, I released a few of those, so they were successful.
0: <laughs> oh wow! Well, that's yeah. that's a that's an accomplishment raising baby yeah bunnies
1: bunnies. Yeah, they take a while. They take a while. So okay, so get, get into Unflappable, your okay. latest book that just came out. I guess, can you kind of give an overview for the listeners?
0: Um, Yeah. So uh, the story is uh, Luna Burke is a, uh, she's a 25-year-old wildlife rehabber from Pennsylvania. And in the beginning of the book, she's married to an incredibly wealthy Florida businessman. She's been married (laughs) for six months. Always oh, Florida. Yes, that's it's right. True. Well, they have to start in Florida because that's as far south as you can get in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and she's calling it quits after six months. She can't take the life. And so in an attempt to lure her back, her mogul husband sends his guys up to Pennsylvania to take, illegally, of course, a male bald eagle that she has worked with and who lives at a wildlife Center in Pennsylvania. And he thinks this will entice her back to him. Instead, it does not go according to plan. And she manages to get an unsuspecting tech guy she's just met to help her take this bird from her husband's private zoo in Florida and put it in the back of his car in a giant animal crate. And off they go. And Mm -hmm. they are, they're heading for a an eagle sanctuary in ontario so they have to get from key west to ontario with a male bald eagle a full-grown bald eagle in the back of their car (laughs) and and it's uh they don't use just one vehicle because chasing them are her furious husband of course Mm -hmm. and the the police And his bodyguards and local conservation officers, because this is illegal, and fish and wildlife, and uh, and then the way they do it is there is this it there's a there's an underground railroad of wildlife Mm. rehabbers, and she goes from rehabber to rehabber because she has to stay in places that have flight cages big enough to let this bald eagle out and let him you know spend the night and stretch his wings in comfort yeah yeah yeah. so so all these rehabbers are helping her and there's also a there's a former navy seal who's now a panther advocate and he uh you know he keeps taking pot he's a he's an ex-sniper and he keeps taking Mm -hmm. pot shots at her husband so everybody is you know there are so many characters everybody's either. Trying to help her or trying to stop her, and right. uh, it's very lively. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
1: it's. it's I, I got about a third of the way through. I, I've got to finish it. I promise you, I will.
0: Uh, it, I'll it, hold you know, to that. It, it,
1: yeah, it gripped me. It definitely gripped me. And um, you know, I just, I, I, anything to do with animals is just amazing. So I know our listeners will enjoy it.
0: Good. Well, I hope but, so.
1: But you know, I, I guess, from, yeah, from like a wildlife perspective. Or wildlife rehab perspective. I guess, what are some of the things? I guess you talk about the network, but also, I guess, what can people learn about taking care of these big raptors? Because when I think of a bald eagle, and gosh, we just covered them a few weeks ago for a couple months. Yes,
0: ago. I listened to that. Still protected.
1: <laughs> yeah, still protected, yeah. right? I mean, still a lot of laws in place. I could imagine trying to rehab them is not easy. <laughs>
0: no no it's definitely not easy it's it's no so um that's that's one of the um one of the reasons there are so many characters in this book it's because um you know i'm writing it as a wildlife rehabber and so you have a big bird of prey you know you if if this were if this were a a wild bird a wild Eagle, it could never have made a trip like this. You know, putting, going in and out of crates, going to strange environments, and spending the night, and then getting back in the crate and back in the car for five hours. I mean, if this were a wild bird, they would never survive a journey like that. It would be far too too stressful. But with a you know a imprinted, habituated eagle, you could get away with it. But you can't have them in the crate for more than five hours at a stretch. And so as I tell the story, there are all these, you know, sort of cool wildlife facts that you learn from it. And every place they stop, the rehabber does a different type of animal. So there are, you know, there's the, the seal takes care of panthers. There are... You know, opossums. There are bats. There's songbirds. There's, you know, every place. There's a there's a different type of wildlife, and you learn all about them. You know, not in a sort of pedantic way. Um, Mm -hmm. I I tried to write it that way, but people have told me that it's just it's like really readable information that you stop for a second and you think, huh, you know, I didn't know that about opossums, or Mm -hmm. or gee, you know, if if somebody hits a Black bear with a car. How do you rehab a bear? You know bear. what kind of, yeah, like what kind of setup do you need to rehab a black bear? And and you get this just through reading the story. It's not like you know. It's not like bullet points. It's within the story.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's a great. Yeah, it's a great way to present information. You know, you're you're getting uh, entertained and learning at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that that was the goal. I was trying to, you know, trying to show people who are not into the environment, just, you know, how cool and fun it is. And, and, and showing that people, people who are really into taking care of injured and orphaned wild animals tend to be kind of quirky because, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) a, it's a niche area. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you I know this chris interesting people uh, yes <laughs> oh my goodness yes, uh, yes. Some
1: very interesting people they are they're Oh, but you gotta love them you gotta love people that love wildlife
0: ah uh, yeah yeah you know it's true
1: <laughs> so of, of all the species you worked with is are raptors the hardest or what are some of the the tougher birds that you've worked with
0: uh i would say personally that songbirds are far more difficult than raptors hmm. because they are so tiny they're so delicate and you know the first time i went from from raptors to songbirds and i'm used to these big birds that you can grab and mm-hmm. you know at first i was afraid to touch these songbirds because they were just so little and and uh Luckily, I had I had some wonderful songbird rehabber friends who showed me the ropes and uh, and uh, taught me you know taught me how how to hold them and how how to work with them. So um, I would still, even though I know how to do it, I would say that they are more difficult. Their metabolisms are so fast. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they they have to eat all the time. Um, the bigger the bird, the less often they have to eat. So just right. from a, a time conservation point of view.
1: So do you, do you? So when you do rehab with them, do you take them from chicks and then get them to fledglings to get them to fly and release?
0: Um, I, I have done it that way. Yeah. Uh, rehabbers get if we're talking songbirds, rehabbers get songbirds mm. in every stage of development. I mean, I know rehabbers who have taken in eggs. That's oh, wow. You know, not me. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a bridge too far for me. But uh, yes, I. I, um, You sometimes you will get a nest, like an actual nest. I once took in uh, a this beautifully constructed nest with five baby blue jays in it, and the the woman saw the parent get hit by a car. It was near, you know, near her house, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there was no other. She didn't. She waited and waited because she had me on the phone, and no other parent came for the babies. You know, they do the both parents feed the babies, but but nobody came. So she just brought me the whole nest with these babies in it, and so that one, for example, yes, I fed, I fed them, my kids and I fed them until they became fledglings. And once they become fledglings, they go out into the flight cage, and mm-hmm. I had several different flight cages going. but flight cages are filled with uh, branches and you know things to perch on. You want to put whatever they will find in their natural habitat is what you want to put in that flight cage, so leaves and sticks and pine cones and Rocks and you know water and everything. You want them to become acclimated, and then little by little you get them self-feeding, so they'll just pick up worms and pick up seeds or whatever they eat by themselves. And you want to make sure they don't depend on you for food when you when you actually release them. And then you know you have to worry about imprinting. You want to make sure that uh, they have uh, siblings. Even if they're not blood siblings, if I mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. a single orphaned uh, robin in, I call around and say, who's got robins? You know, can I can I give someone a robin? Or if I have to, I'll take your robins.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, <laughs> so yeah. um, just to make sure that they, you know, they know what kind of birds they are.
1: That's interesting. So it's like, it's almost training. I mean, I know we had the release cage with squirrels. Yeah. Possums are easy. You just get them big enough and let them go. Yeah. <laughs> they just go. <laughs> they just go.
0: Possums are so matter of fact.
1: <laughs> yeah. They just go. They, they eat everything. But yeah. uh, I can imagine. So then when you get like adults that are injured, you know, did you have to do a lot of vet care for them or use veterinarians?
0: Yes. This is this is one of the things if you're, um, you know, especially with birds, you you have to well, not, a, I mean, with all with all wildlife, you need to work with veterinarians. And uh, because as as uh, rehabbers, unless, you, you know, there are, are, are veterinarians who are also rehabbers, but, you know, really, if you're a working veterinarian, there aren't enough hours in the day for you mm-hmm. to be both. So um, in my own case, I had a couple of just amazingly wonderful vets, small animal vets who were willing to work with me on wildlife. And they would, you know, they would schedule me in. And if a bird had a broken bone, they would x-ray it, you know, they would set it. Uh, I had uh, an owl come in once with an eye injury and I, I called a, a veterinarian who specialized in, in animal eyes. And he saw this bird, I mean, normally he's a high paid veterinarian and he actually, he saw this bird for free several times just because Mm -hmm. he was, he wanted to, he wanted to help. And this was a, a, like a cool project for him. But the vet, I mean, I just can't say enough wonderful things about the vets that I've worked with because I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did without them. I can't, I don't have an x-ray machine. I can't set a broken bone properly. So.
1: Yeah, and it's expensive.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. This is why rehabbers are always broke. We have no money.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. It's (laughs) like, oh, and then you have to make some hard decisions
0: sometimes. That's right. Like, do I get that really nice dress I have my eye on, or do I spend <laughs> it on bandages and frozen rats? Um, well, let's see. <laughs> yeah, let's see.
1: <laughs> that. Oh, that dress doesn't. Yeah, uh, save it. On, save it for the frozen rats.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Oh man. So,
1: you go back to Flapple real quick. What are some of the things that people will take away from that story that you think you know? Besides just some, I guess some of the. The things they might learn about wildlife rehab, Maybe we talked a little bit about that, but is there anything else that they might be surprised about?
0: Uh I think they they would probably just be surprised at how all-encompassing it can become. Um, how you know how you it's you keep learning new things. Um and they will probably also be surprised at at the network and at the uh, the bond that wildlife rehabbers have with each other. Because there there really aren't that many wildlife rehabbers. I mean, they're, the money is terrible. I mean, we usually... Yeah. <laughs> people yeah. put it this way. You don't become a wildlife rehabber for the money or the glamour. You know? No, so no. I, I But so when... When you're in a situation like that and when you're, you know, we, people are, rehabbers are stressed out a lot. We have too much work and not enough time. And there are these wonderful, wonderful moments when you take an animal or a bird who was, was definitely a goner and you essentially bring them back to life and then set them free. And that moment is so just, it just makes your heart sing. It just does something for your soul and that is enough to keep you going and you know when you have a bond with people who feel the same way that you do about this you know it's 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 a really strong bond and i think this story just shows how you know people will do so much for each other especially when they think they're on a you know the person is on a a quest a, mm-hmm. on a mission that is for the the life of a wild creature
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, I think one of the best moments is when you see those animals go run away, and it brings tears to your eyes sometimes. And you're like, "No, you know." <laughs> I I still remember this huge possum I released. We called we called him Banjo.
0: Oh. <laughs> he
1: just, I mean they they don't run away. They just walk they just away,
0: and, saunter away.
1: Yeah, and they're like, "Whatever, I don't care about you. I'm just gonna go find some food." yeah you
0: know, um. I, I know that's the that's the thing that is hard for some people to understand is when we have these these animals and birds in rehab, you cannot get you know you're not supposed to get them to like you i mean that's that would be if if they liked you by the time you set them free, then you would not be doing your job properly you know they you want to make it so that they are set to go and um there have been times, like when I worked at the Raptor Center, sometimes if we were going to release a a big bird, we would invite a little group of people who had helped or, you know, been involved. It's, so it's, it's not so good to have a huge crowd because the more people there are, the greater the chance of something going wrong. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you let a bird go and yeah, yeah. just like you said, you look around and people are like, weeping and they're just it's so symbolic and it's so beautiful but this bird just hot foots it away from you it's not like they yeah. they circle around and blow you a kiss or anything they just
1: no, no. off <laughs> they
0: go <They're> like, <laughs> sayonara <Thanks.
1: laughs> I know uh, there's actually uh, the Pacific Mammal Center near where I live as soon as this oh. COVID-19 thing gets lifted go work with them but they oh. do releases on the ocean, you know. I can only imagine oh. – can you imagine seeing all these – they get like 20, 30 baby seals and release oh. them all
0: at once. That's incredible.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh. that Yeah, a lot of tears at that one, I bet. I bet. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: so, I guess what are some of the misunderstandings – because I'm sure a lot of people didn't really understand wildlife rehab or that even was a thing. Yeah. Where people could get involved – I guess, what are some of the, the truths or misnomers out there about wildlife, rehabilita- uh, wildlife rehabilitation?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to do it than say it, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I think people, you know, people think that rehabbers are like Snow White and we have all these happy animals just getting along and circling our heads and you know, a, a peaceable kingdom. And of course, it's not. It's not a peaceable kingdom, you know. If if I have, uh, if I have different species of birds in my clinic, the raptors would be delighted to eat the songbirds. I mean, they, you know, these are not creatures who who would get along. And and I think uh, you're right that I have had so many times where where people have said, "Well, what's a wildlife rehabber?" You know, what is that? And, and it's, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to, to tell people that rehabbers exist. You know, there is a place to take an injured wild creature.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously we, our listeners of our podcast are love wildlife. What would you do to suggest if they wanted to get into wildlife rehab?
0: I would, I would suggest they, they go online and find a rehabber, find the rehabber that's closest to them, and ask if they could volunteer. Uh, there are single rehabbers who you know, could use a hand every now and then. There are rehab centers that can use volunteers you know, anytime. It, depending on, on what you'd like to do for them, you know, especially with the big centers, there are so many different jobs that you can do depending on how hands-on you want to be. It helps if you have some kind of, you know, background in the animal care, uh, especially if you're, you know, science oriented, that's always helpful. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, I'd say contact, contact the rehabber nearest you. And most of them are, are really eager for help. And even if you can only do it every, you know, once in a while, um, and, and even if, if you just want to say transport, you know, I, I know people who they, they can only do it every once in a while and they don't necessarily want to be hands-on with an injured animal, but they want to help. So Mm -hmm. I have their numbers and, you know, whenever an animal is injured. Say, say, somebody has a you know an injured, an injured uh, squirrel, and they have it in a box, and they need to get it to me, but they can't drive it to me. I can call this person and say, "Can you go to wherever it is, pick up the squirrel, and bring it to me?" And they're happy to do that. So yeah, yeah, there's just so many different things you can do, especially give money. <laughs> You can yes. give. You can give money and supplies. <laughs> they need it. <laughs> yes, they need
1: it. Yes, you go through so much so quickly. Oh sure. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a labor of love. So I, I guess some of the final questions I want to ask: How many different birds have you worked with, and what are some of your favorites?
0: Oh, I have, I have worked with so many different different birds. I mean, just although the ones that live in my area. I do the native birds that are in my area, so I'm in New York State, and um, you know i do I do new york state birds i've never I've never done a pelican i've never you know done a frigate mm-hmm. bird, anything like that but um, i've i've had I've had birds brought to me that you know when they when they come in a box, I can't even ID them. I remember a man once brought me this little this little creature in a box. And he said, he said, I'm so happy. He was just such a a kind and elegant man. And he said, Mm. I'm so happy that you could help. Could you tell me what sort of bird this is? And I was really, I was really fried at the time. I was underslept and overworked. I said, Mm -hmm, I don't, it looks like someone threw it out of a spaceship. I don't know what it is. And I had to, I had to, I had to take a picture of it and send it to one of my birder friends and it was a nestling green heron. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, you know, it was such a cool little bird, but this is learning on the fly. And mm-hmm. I I did not know the care for them. So I, I called my friends who do a lot of shorebirds, waterbirds, you know, who specialize them. There's a, there's a place in Maine. I was such a pest. I called them all the time. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I have to get all these little details. I'd say, I'm really sorry. It's me again. But how do I do this? <laughs>
1: and, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. Sure they were happy to help.
0: Oh, so yes. Yes. They were wonderful and happy to help. <laughs>
1: right. So, you know, you've been doing this for, for a while. Just a couple months ago, or it was like three months ago, four months ago. This study came out that we've lost, what, 3 million, or 3 billion. Was it 3 billion birds in the last 50 years? Have you seen a decline? Have you noticed anything? Or just, I guess, are you hearing anything from from your circles in wildlife rehab?
0: Yes, yes, I I am. I hear, you know, I don't, I, I live in sort of a rural area. Mm -hmm. And, um, in my treks through the woods, I haven't really seen it myself, but, but it's, it's true that birds are declining. There's, there's so many things that are against them. There's, there's, you know, building habitat loss is an enormous factor. Um, they, there's too much building there's there's not enough land for them. Every time people cut down the woods and put up a, another suburb, they have less habitat. You know, grasslands are disappearing. Um, there's there are you know things outdoor cats. I mean, mm-hmm. don't get me started on outdoor cats. <laughs> yes, yes, because they they just kill so many birds, and people make excuses for them, like like oh, it's natural. And it's not. Cats are domestic and wild birds are not. So there's that. And there's just there's so many, there's so many things that are against them. And the laws, I mean, laws in this country protecting wildlife are just being shredded every single day. Every time I look at the paper, another environmental regulation has bitten the dust. And these are these are things that people have worked really, really hard to to enact. You know, it's been such a long battle, and then you know, with the flick of a pen, they're gone.
1: Yeah. So. No, it's. Well, I know there's there's people out there fighting. Uh, you know, we we interviewed actually a lawyer last year with the um, Center for Biological Diversity. Oh yeah, yeah. And Brett Hartle and and they're fighting, but again, there's so few uh, those lawyers out there doing this work. So it's it's good to. So somebody like you out there working hard saving these birds. For anybody listening to this interview, buy her book, help support birds in North America. <laughs> so there you go, there's your plug.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Yes. And you know, I don't do so much rehab anymore because mm-hmm. I'm busy writing and the I I don't live in the house where I had my bird rehab center, and uh, you know you need facilities for this. I still do rescues. people still have my number, so once you know once they get your number, <laughs> they 'll always have it. so mm-hmm. if, if someone has an injured bird, I can go and get him and stabilize him, keep him overnight if I have to, and then pass him on to another rehabber. but I've found that um, you know I can I can do that as far as hands on, but I can reach a lot more people if I keep writing about it.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It's uh, the animals need it. Our wildlife need it. You know, obviously that's what our podcast is about. And, you know, each week we we talk about a species and someone like yourself. This is what has kept us going as far as the good news or the, the good felt stories or are, are people like you out there helping these animals day in, day out, spreading awareness or doing the rehab or the research and all the stuff. So thank you so much, Susie, for what you do.
0: Oh, well, thank, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Yeah. So final question, I guess, besides buying your book Unflappable, which we'll put all the links on there. Okay. Your website, SusieGilbert.com Again, I will, we'll have that on our show notes and on the, uh, the links there. Is there any other way our listeners can help spread your message, what you're doing, or help out with wildlife rehab? Um,
0: I would say, uh, you know, social media, if you, if, if, you, if you see things on social media that have to do with wildlife, you know, uh, social media is such a powerful thing. I, I have been dragged into it, kicking and screaming, because <laughs> I'm not the, you know, I, I didn't grow up with the social media, you know, I'm not that generation. So, uh, But it's such, a, it's such a wonderful tool to, um, to help spread the word about things. When you see things on social media that have to do with the environment, just forward them around you know, keep, keep forwarding Mm -hmm. that information. And if you're, you know, if you're into birds, especially if you're into bird watching, there's a wonderful site that I used to work. I used to write for. It's called 10,000 birds. Just go 10,000 birds.com. And there are a whole bunch of writers on it. They, uh, travel, well, not so much any, not so much these days, but before they would travel all over the world and write about the cool birds that they've seen and when i was writing for them i did the rehabber corner so i you know i just wrote about rehab but it's still going and i keep trying to get back to writing for them again i mm-hmm. just i just haven't been able to get there yet but it's it's there on you know online and these stories are wonderful they have beautiful pictures they have great stories to get you into birds to uh you know show you the adventure of watching birds and, you know, becoming a, a conservation minded person. Yes.
1: <laughs> I that's have the one, goal, right?
0: That's the yeah. goal. I have one, I have one story for you that I just, I just thought of uh, that, mm-hmm, that kind mm-hmm. of encompasses like what, what happens to rehabbers? You know how, when, when uh, you start doing something and then it seems like, like say suddenly you, you take an interest in, in a certain type of car, and suddenly they're everywhere, you know you keep looking yeah. at them. I once was uh, I was in my house, I was running my bird operation, and I uh, had a half an hour to spare. You had, you had asked me about my typical day when i was trying to yeah. juggle my kids and my yeah. birds and everything yeah. and i had i had a half an hour to spare and i was just guarding this half an hour because i was going to go running you know i just i was going to take a mm. run in the woods and it was such a stress buster for me to go running and mm. i was so happy and i got everything together and i called my dog and i went out and i crossed the field i was literally about six feet from the trail and a yellow shafted flicker fell on my head. Literally, (laughs) literally he fell out of the, out of the tree, out of the sky and hit my head and bounced off my shoulder and fell on the ground. And then he started, he started kind of trying to scuttle away, but obviously he was injured. So I grabbed him and he had a broken wing so anyway that you know it's like these birds are going to demand to be rescued even if you prefer to do something else
1: <laughs> you had no free time no oh, but that's the life I mean that and that's, that's what the makes, life I mean let me just say thank you for saving that animal I mean that is the dedication that you had the heart you have
0: well, amazing
1: stuff. Amazing stuff, Susie.
0: Okay. Well, you've done it yourself, Chris. You, 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 yeah. you're part of my tribe, even though you managed to escape for a while.
1: <laughs> a little while.
0: Yes. <laughs> One of these days. We'll probably prepared. get you back like the mafia.
1: I know. I know. I'm going to go do the SEALs. I'm, I'm definitely uh. going to go volunteer there when I can, when I can.
0: Well, when you do put it online so we all can watch. I
1: will. I will. I will. I will. I will. But Susie, thank you so much. The the book is unflappable. Please go get it. It's on. It's on Amazon, right? And
0: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Smashwords, wherever, wherever you want to get your books.
1: Yeah, wherever you want to buy books, they're there.
0: Yep, it, local. <laughs> so- if you want to support your local bookstore, you can order it through the bookstore.
1: Oh, good, good. There you go. There you go. So, Susie Gilbert, thank you so much. Good luck on the book and thank you for spending the last hour with us.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a really fun time.